Hello friends, just before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to tell you guys about the Scopies that we just announced just a couple days ago. If you're new at around here and you didn't see the Scopies last year, it's our annual hardcore award show and celebration. We look back at the year at hardcore and we have nominated a ton of people for EP of the year, demo of the year, split of the year, LP of the year, uh, in a number of other categories, um, just to give roses and props to all the people that have made hardcore super sick in 2022. Voting is now open and you can find the form to vote in the description of this podcast, as well as our link tree, which is in our Instagram bio. Um, we're gonna be posting about it a ton on social media in the next few days. Voting will be closed on December 30th and then all the winners will be announced on a special Scoped Exposure podcast episode debuting on the 31st. So if you've already made your top 10 hardcore lists, take that information, apply it to the Scopies form, again, in the description of this video or in our link tree. And, you know, we almost had 700 people fill out the form last year. I would love to see a thousand. And I think we're almost a quarter of the way there, even within the first 24 hours of the building being live. So without any further ado, let's get into the podcast and go cast your vote for the Scopies. See ya. There's like something about the guitarist and the drummer and their relationships can get a little gay. We kiss each other. Can you see each other at shows? On the lips. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is another episode of the Scoped Exposure podcast. Um, you know, this uh, season is, you know, we're fresh into it, season three. And something that I wanted to get to very early in this season is doing a slam-focused podcast. And there is literally no other band or, that I can think of when it comes to slam and how that relates to the heavy music and hardcore world than, other than Peeling Flesh. And I got to see and play with Peeling Flesh at Act Like You Know Fest in Oklahoma. And um, someone that I think is the hype man, the brainchild, um, riff wizard, uh, many a titles attached to that band is my guest today. So without further ado, I'm very excited to be welcoming Michael Soto of Peeling Flesh and Cell onto the podcast. Thank you for so much for joining me, my friend. I'm really, really excited for this one. I'm stoked as fuck to be here. Um, you know, just for the, the listeners, uh, Michael and I originally met, um, not at act like, you know, but, uh, the year prior when it was prom core. And I remember that you were doing sound at the pre-show and you were w one of the first people that kind of like realized that I was not an Oklahomian, you know, like I was not from there and came up and introduced yourself. And I think you were, uh, you had seen some scope stuff prior and you were just kind of giving me some some compliments, which I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is sick. This guy's nice. And then um, just seeing the bands that you are part of and just, you know, following everything that you've been doing on a production side as well as, you know, a band side has been it's been really cool to see. So when I was thinking about doing another 
episode around, you know, friends from the Oklahoma area, you were top of the list. So um, very, very excited. But as you know, we have to check some bevs before we get into the um, the uh, the meat of this episode. So it's tradition for the guests to go first. So tell me what you got um, bev wise for the show. I got uh, I got some fucking some Starbucks ground up coffee that they sell on the bag with some uh, cinnamon bun fucking coffee creamer. Oh, and okay. Stanley from the office that <laughs> my wife just got me for Christmas. Did I stutter? <laughs> What's the other side of it say? Or is it the same? Yeah. Yeah. It's a mirror. It's a mirrored coffee mug. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Uh, I uh, I love this coffee mug myself. Uh, it's uh, by good good homies of the podcast, Karma from Chicago. Um, but the problem I think with this mug is that if you hold it sideways, it looks like it's nothing. So you have to like do this. But I I like a front and back style of mug, very similar to the one that you have. I have so many coffee cups. I love coffee cups. I even have a coffee cup that's a fucking weed pipe. Oh. Does that mean you could smoke weed and drink coffee at the same time? Yeah, you fucking, you just put your mouth up to the handle. It's got a bowl over here on this side. You can just smoke it like that and then take a sip. The only thing I don't like is the, is it, it doesn't hold enough coffee. Mm. So the, the ratios of weed to coffee are a little imbalanced there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what my weekends consist of is balancing <laughs> weed and coffee and then sitting right here. And yeah. trying to keep that balance up. Right. The yin and yang of 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 all things in life. That's how I get through the weekend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I maybe I hope to one day to to see said mug and, and maybe uh partake in it, but I, I'm not sure what the uh this the the per usage or, or cleaning that. That must be a, a tall order once once it's after I, after I it's really been used. use the cup. I really use the cup. <laughs> Let's be real. I, I, I'm just I, I, using I, it for the weed. <laughs> uh very cool um yeah the cinnamon coffee creamer is uh is a good vibe as well obviously like i always start my day with black coffee but anything to to spice it up through the Mm -hmm. the middle of the day is definitely good see i i I, at one point in time like straight black coffee for like a week and then i was like nah i love my different flavored creamers that like add to the coffee Mm -hmm. so but yeah my wife picks it up my wife picks out the creamer. My wife picks out everything I need to live my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have multiple creamers or is cinnamon the uh, yeah, tried and true? That one, um, cinnamon toast crunch creamer. Whoa, what? <laughs> Word, bro, it is fire. Like I, I probably am keeping whoever came up with that idea. I'm probably keeping their kids in college. You know, <laughs> like the amount that we buy. Right. Like, we're like, oh, shit, there's some at this little Walmart. There ain't none at the one close to the house. Let's grab it. <laughs> right, right. You, uh, it, it's one of those things sometimes when I go to get liquid death, sometimes if I'm feeling like I'll just clear them out. Like, they almost had a thing on their, uh, on their social media where it's like the clear out your local, uh, like, um, gas station of liquid death challenge. And people would just yeah. kind of do that. So for you, it's, uh, cinnamon, uh, toast crunch coffee creamer. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm that's that's the Bev lesson for me already in this episode of things I need to check out uh, after after the interview. Um speaking of liquid death, I just have the old classic sparkling black can. So that's what I'm going to be rocking for the episode. So it's not that 
we go to this little spot called the Dollar Tree, and they mm-hmm. sell these for a dollar. It's a Martinelli's gold medal sparkling cider. This one's apple cranberry. Dude. But these, like, we get them in the pear apple flavored. Like, it's like green apple and pear uh, sparkling cider. Sparkling cider is the shit. And they're a dollar. That's that's wild. It's probably with the, the Canadian. I ourselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's probably with the Canadian to American difference. It's probably more $2 for us. But still, for, for a sparkling cider, that's a, that's a good move. So, man. So much better, bro. And I'll pull up with a cart and I'll just like start picking like six of each different kind. And then I'll load them all <laughs> up in my cart and then slide them to the lady at the register. And right. she's just like, she has to individually wrap everyone because they're glass bottles. Yeah. She hates me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this guy again. You're like, like oh. We gotta start getting you some some glass carriers, those cardboard ones. You know what I'm mm, saying? I can yeah. go in there with my own. It's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this podcast is already off to a great start, in my opinion, Michael. So, cheers to you, my friend. Really excited to do this shit with you. That's the. Hell yeah. That's both the guest and the host drinking their bevs in unison. Uh, yep. Dead air. <laughs> But, you know, it is what it is. But, um, Michael, I, I'm sure you've listened to, to one or two of these podcasts, so you kind of know the flow at the beginning. Uh, I always like to get a little bit of context about how any get, any new guest who comes here on the show kind of got into heavy music, hardcore, slam, beatdown, however you want to spin it. So take me way back in time to the first time you were hearing, you know, breakdowns, guitar music, um, you know, and then we'll kind of like break it down from there. Pun okay. intended. Sure. I've had to tell this story so many times that I think I've got like finally got it refined mm. to where I can tell it in a short amount of time because it takes forever to say the whole thing. <laughs> so when it comes to music, definitely started out like in my dad's truck as a child, going through his eight track tapes, going through his CDs. He was real big into like Garth Brooks and shit, but he introduced me to like Credence Clearwater Revival, he introduced me to like um, 38 Special old old rock mm-hmm. you know old southern rock because like i've grown up in the south and it's i'm i'm that person like in the united states it's like you got the the new york style people and then you get the california style people then you get the florida style people then you get the texas style people and then you got like where it all blends together you know what i mean so like mm-hmm. i grew up in that area i'm considered southern 100 yeah so I got introduced to like that kind of guitar music and I was real big into, into ballads and shit. And so my dad, my dad's full blood Mexican. My mom's full blood white. My mom speaks just as much Spanish as my dad does. There ain't no difference there. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So they both introduced me to music. My mom was a singer. My dad was a preacher. My dad had many churches growing up. I, I, I credit my ability to see humanity in people from growing up in church. Hmm. I was raised by a good Christian man, a, a really good Christian man, not Christian man like I see today. Right. It's, it's not the same. Right. Like my dad was a good man. He didn't make any money, but he, he was passionate about reaching out to people and helping people. And so like, that's where I was introduced to it. But we had praise and worship. I would play drums and sometimes I'd play guitar. My mom would always sing. My sisters would back up sing. 
um, family, friends, kid would play guitar. If I was playing drums and we would switch back and forth mm. and there would always be like, <laughs> there would always be those edgy ass churches we'd go to, like where these edgy ass youth kids would like, they'd cut all the lights and put the blue lights on and they'd play these blue solos over some like heavy drums and I'm just, <laughs> but no words. Sure. And I was like, yes, instrumental is where it's at. Hmm. Cause I'm not, even at a young age, I was just like, I'm not with the whole Jesus thing. You know what I mean? I respect it. You know, it's whatever. But like, I've never been like Santa Claus is real. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Santa Claus ain't real, but I met musicians basically. And so those musicians sometimes were like older skater dudes that my sisters would hang out with and shit. And I remember this one dude had like this uh, fluorescent yellow uh, Ibanez six string. And I was like, I want to fucking glow in the dark guitar. But I was like, this dude, like at like church practices, you know what I mean? He would play heavy riffs. He would play like Metallica and stuff. He would play like some Pantera riffs. Mm. He would play some really cool stuff back then. And I was just like, these riffs are tight. But it was like the era of Blink-182's rise. You sure. know what I mean? So it's like, it was a long time ago. I'm 34. So, yeah, it's like early 90s, but or mid 90s. Yeah. And then like my other sister's friends were like listening to Slipknot. And like this dude, uh, his name was Josh Elder. Um, that dude like introduced me to like darker stuff. He was like, check out Cold Chamber. Mm. Check out check out Limp Biscuit. This is when Limp Biscuit was like hella underground. It was like three dollar bill era. This is before break stuff even came out. Right. And he would like, he would show me the darker side of music, but I, he would come to the church sometimes, but like, he was my dad's like favorite friend of his daughters. And like, he would always come and help out in the body shop. And like, cause my dad always on top of preaching, he always did custom cars, like show cars, like oh, okay. really nice, like, paint jobs. He was a painter. Hmm. You know what I mean, he was, the, he was the Mexican to go to in Missouri for paint jobs is what the other white dudes considered a mess. So my dad took it as a badge. He was like, hell yeah. Okay. He's like, yeah, I'm the guy to go to. Okay. But, um, he was the, that guy used to come around and he used to have a slipknot clown mask. And I was like, this is hard. I was like, right. I don't know what this is. I was like, the slipknot's fucking amazing. Yeah. Original, like, uh, clown mask or like a certain era. No, I'm talking like mate, feed, kill, repeat era which was before the self-titled mm, yeah and um i'm a real big slipknot head by the way like straight up got the 920 star on the <laughs> i would be shocked if you weren't <laughs> like <laughs> that's pretty obvious but like they that dude showed me a lot of that stuff and i would start playing that in my room and i got to the point where i was like i want my own guitar dad because i always had these like shitty ass hand me down guitars mm. and so this one guy at the church Gave me my very first electric guitar. It was a Stratocaster knockoff, but he played metal too, like privately. Mm. Like he would always be wearing black with like a studded belt to church. It's whatever, you know. <laughs> but, but um, he, but him giving me that, giving me that guitar, I was like, I started playing the radio, and then I would learn how to play guitar, mm. and that's how I started learning how to play Just whatever the fucking radio would play, right? Because I had no options. I was a fucking preacher's kid with like my first electric guitar. Damn sure didn't get no secular music. You know what I mean? So like sure. I used to have the 
the gray and black Walkman CD player, and I would keep a pocket full of AA batteries in case, you know what I mean, they would start to run out. I could swap out the batteries on them. But my dad, he would randomly pop open my CD player to see what I was listening to. Oh, so okay. So what I started doing is I started using a little bit of hairspray on the top of the CD, and I would put like a, one of the Jesus bands that my dad used to make me listen to on top of my Limp Biscuit CD and put you that in my disc devious plate. dog <laughs> and pop that fucking thing open thinking he's gonna see me listening to something because i'm over there like this you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Fucking like just like my head up against the window you're and listening to limbisca and then he's like oh toby mac okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it was like uh it was like the newsboys i think sure. is what it was yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's some christian band that my dad used to fucking <laughs> he's like they're really heavy and i'm like no the fuck they're not you're like, sure, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the fuck away. Man, if he sees this my whole life, he's like, right. damn, it was all a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, okay. Oh, that, you're, you've given me so much and uh, to, to break down here. But yeah, there's a lot of things. Like, I, I've talked about a lot on the, on the podcast that I, um, I came up from a Christian background as well. Like, went to church. My mom sang in choir, um, played on the worship team, all that. And to your point, I definitely accredit some of the the ways that I see people and different things on my ra- morality side because I went to church and I had that upbringing. But at the at the same token, it's like the same place that I learned how to love people. I also learned like how to hate and like the hypocrisy behind. Oh, someone's kid is straying from the like. It just gets into like a really ugly place. And uh, and not to say that that needs to be the dominating factor uh, of this convo. But I do think that there there's it's it constantly surprises me how many people that come on this podcast that are like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, I sang, you know, these worship songs or whatever growing up. And, you know, that was my upbringing. Um, but you know, now I'm doing this. Um, the other point the that's is that like while that was going on, like while the church and stuff is going on, we're living in poverty. We're dealing with racism consistently, mm-hmm. constantly, every single day of our life. My dad was being racially biased. My dad was being targeted by police. My dad was being treated differently, getting paid less. My mom couldn't get a job because she was dating a Mexican, because she was married to a Mexican with Mexican children. Mm-hmm. The the kids were colors and mixed. Um, my sister Samantha's dark skinned Mexican. Me and Melissa inherited the light skin from our mom. We look more like our mom. The first two kids looked more like my dad, dark skinned, but they would tell us kids like y'all can't y'all can play in the yard, but she can't play in the yard. Talking about my dark skinned sister. Oh, wow. I mean, okay. this is I mean, even though my dad is a preacher and like we would spend some weekends at homeless shelters passing out food, like even though we barely had food at home, Mm. like we would still use the money from the church that we would get that we got to buy food to go to the homeless shelters that open up a pantry, open up a like all these different things to like help people. My dad would like let random ass fucking people that started going to church stay in our garage because it was enclosed and like Mm. staying at our house. Like there was constantly people in the house, but we were still living in ghettos, living in hoods. My dad, we, we, uh, we moved to, to trying to South Houston. We moved like straight Mexican hood. I felt more at home in black neighborhoods and Brown neighborhoods growing up because I dealt with so much racism with my family mm-hmm. that it's like, once I went there, it was just like, this is where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, this is where I belong. Like I, 
I'm supposed to be wearing Dickies. I'm supposed to be wearing Chuck Taylors. I'm supposed to be wearing, you know what I'm saying, button-up plaid shirt. But I would I would feel more comfortable in like those those places like that. The church, they were too clean. We were too dirty for them. You know, we would pull up in a car with a custom paint job with big ass rims on it and a badass engine in it. And all all three of us kids would come piling out of it, being hella loud. I was a terrible child. I mean, I was an ADHD child, 1000% that like everybody thought they could pray it away. But that's like, that molded me though. And like, I learned how to be giving to humanity and like other people and like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like sometimes it's not always so shitty, like how everybody is portraying it. Sometimes you got to listen to that person. Mm-hmm. Now something that my dad would always do when somebody would single somebody out in the church, my dad would go have that conversation with that one person. Mm-hmm. And like, we would sit there and I would watch my dad communicate with people and settle shit versus when, when I was outside the house, people weren't settling shit. They would fight that shit and fight it out in the street. Like, yeah violence was very very big in my life and it just seemed to get worse throughout my years depending on where i was like living and shit but hmm. but some church people just started deleting me and you know what i mean deleting me from their life once i stepped away from the church and my dad and my mom split up and got a divorce it was like i started to see the true side of some of those people that i thought were really really good right yeah and 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 i appreciate you being so like open and vulnerable about it because like yeah like it's i think a lot of people who do have that upbringing like have a lot of trauma off of like things that people um who just had a savior complex where they're like i'm in the right and anything i say is like the way it is and either leadership within that organization just didn't step up or they just like just tried to let it play out themselves and uh yeah there's like a lot of shit that like you know, when I think back to different, there, there's, there's definitely people within, you know, my years of like going to church because I had to, where it's like, oh, this person actually like stood by what they said. These mm-hmm. people did, you know, did, you know, the things that they like preached or, you know, would talk about like in between songs or services or whatever. Um, those are people that I respect, but that is the, the minority versus the majority of people where it was just gossip and backlash and, people fighting um obviously like child abuse child abuse yeah massive amounts of child abuse like it's it's not even funny the only church in my life that i ever went to that some child did not get abused is my dad's (laughs) Hmm. as soon as we went to another church like my sister became a target and like it's it's wild to watch like things happen behind closed doors and the preacher be like, nobody needs to know about this. That was, you know what I mean? Fucked. That's so yeah. fucked. That's what pushed me one, like completely out the door. Mm-hmm. It's like whenever I figured that out. Yeah. But it don't matter. Cause some of those people, like I was saying, like we were saying, we're good people. Um, the pastor's daughter at one church, that guy that I was talking about with that green guitar, they started a, they started a band because the girl was really, really good at singing. They started a band and started touring. And I was like, I was like, that's weird. You know what I mean? I was like, mm. what the fuck? I was like, they're touring. What's touring? Yeah. I was like, what the hell is a tour? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just a child. But it was my introduction to like touring bands. I remember yeah. them 
loading up a big white Econoline van and going on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm like, that must be really, really fucking fun. Hmm. I want to be in a band one day where I can do that. So, I mean, I learned a lot about music through it. It's whatever. But like, okay, so that was like all basically like around Missouri. And then I lived in a small town called Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, which is where I lived most of my life. That's where my like adulthood started. I guess adulthood around like, like 15, 14, well, 13, 13 is like the age, like for Mexican boys that if they're trying to, if they're trying to join something, 13 is the age to get in. Hmm. You got to get beat in. You got to get jumped in at 13. And so when I hit 13, that's like all I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to cause trouble. I didn't want to play guitar no more. I wanted to start some shit in the streets that that was the shit that we loved fucking doing hmm. because you know of all the race, racism and shit that we were fucking constantly dealing with we were being forced into our own groups of mexicans and blacks and whites it was like you know the town was sectioned into that so it's like of course that's like where i was sectioned into because the white people didn't want me because my dad was mexican and we lived and talked and ate food and cooked food like mexicans so obviously we were considered Mexican. So, I mean, I was, I was finding my group of Brown brothers to like teach me more about like my race and my history mm-hmm. and like teach me about respect and not letting people disrespect you. And like something I didn't learn in church is how to fight. <laughs> you know what I mean, it, you don't learn how to fight at church. You learn how to fight in the street. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where we fucking, that's where we handed our shit. So I put the guitar away for a couple of years. And then my parents got a divorce when I was like 15. My mom dipped to Missouri. My dad dipped to another town. I'm 15 trying to go to high school. And so I sell my guitar. I sell all my stuff and living in a car and shit for a couple of years. I started dating this girl. She let me live with her and I met her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law was this dude named Dustin, and he had boxes, bro. I mean, like, tubs full of DVDs, CDs, like, Family Values Tour DVDs, Metallica DVDs, Every Nine Inch Nails DVD, like, all of this stuff that, like, I had left behind. And so I jumped back into music around that era and started diving into those tubs. Hmm. And, like, every time he was gone, I would go into that room and I would start looking through them and, like, refreshing my memory on things I'd listened to before and then learning new stuff, and then finding all of Slipknot stuff. Once I found all of Slipknot, game over. I'm getting back in guitar. Yeah, right. I started playing guitar again, and then whenever I was 20 years old, we got into some shit. Um, we got into a lot of trouble for some some shit. Uh, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigations was looking for each one of us. Um, like unmarked vehicles passing by the house like every single day so we all split we realized that like all of our years of getting into trouble had finally come to an end (laughs) sure and so i was like i gotta get out of paul's valley i want to go move to another town i want to find musicians i want to start a band i want to live out the dream that i've always wanted to live Mm -hmm. so i moved to a town called lawton which is about an hour and a half from paul's valley but it's a the largest artillery base in the united states it's okay. like Fort Sill. It's like, it's really fucking big, but really dirty. Hmm. But there was musicians there. P- 
people who were really actually going to start a band people that weren't just playing guitar on the weekend after they were getting while they were getting <laughs> drunk and getting fucked up on drugs and shit like that mm-hmm. like i wanted real musician friends to hang out with and so i met my kid's mother there and then um a few months after we had met when i was 20 my daughter uh was conceived and then was born in 2010 so i stayed in lawton for about eight years and i met some of my some of my first musician friends that became family to me um, my best friend Kramer, who's my editing guy now from my studio, we started the studio around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kramer's like the dude who keeps me going when it comes to like recording bands and like doing audio and like like wanting to continuously get better. Like we we push each other to become the best that we are. I met him there. I met a few other musicians there, and I met a a lady who ran a bar there called Railhead, the Railhead Saloon. Every Friday and Saturday, they would have live bands. Three bands starts at nine, ends at three in the morning. It's it's a bar yeah. with a fucking stage. <laughs> but I overcame my fear of getting on stage. And like that's a big thing. Like you gotta if your first few situations of being a band member and you're playing on stage in front of people and it's terrible, that could ruin your whole fucking music career mm. and your fear of getting back on stage ever again. Yeah. But luckily I met all these people there. They, a lot of them were you know alcoholics and stuff but there was a lot of them that weren't alcoholics that were there that were drinking but a lot there's probably like 15 of those dudes there they're like they're not there because of the alcohol they really genuinely care about the music mm-hmm. and i i met them started like four or five fucking bands in lawton and then if i can quickly uh just uh interject just to ask a question because it's interesting to hear that you had a f- uh there was, a, there was an anxiety or a fear of, of getting on stage like you were mentioning, but, you know, you were mentioned, you, you said earlier about, like, you would play in church and, like, do drums and things like that. Was, were any of those things connected and that caused that fear or were you fearful even, even back then? Just... I was fearful because I was out of my element. When it comes to church, sure. you're in front of people that are your family. Sure. And then like yeah. a few ongoers, you know what I mean? And you're really quiet, you know, having to be really good. You just fucking four on the floor on the drums you know what i mean play four power chords and that's the whole fucking thing right so it was like but it was once i had to get on there and play intricate things and like and win people over win people over Mm -hmm. winning people over was the biggest thing yeah like starting there was probably bad for me too though because every time i played everybody there was just always cheering me on like dude you did so fucking good i was like i was by myself on stage playing to a backing track (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i was like you know what i mean but it, and it was a completely different style of music it was a it was me 15 years ago you know what i mean so yeah. that's like a whole different person but the thing is about lot thing is about lot um i met some amazing people in the hardcore community that's where i cut my teeth with hardcore is in lot as terrible as lot is to say like oh that's where i learned hardcore from no it was my friends who were booking shows that were bringing real fucking bands to that area, the shows would flop. I mean, a few times we'd like do really good and have a crazy out, but a lot of the times it flopped. Right. But like Kublai Khan, Guilty Dog era, back when it was just mm-hmm. a single, back yeah. when I am had um, the vocalist from Unity TX playing guitar. Yeah. Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Jay. Yeah. My guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, you know that era mm-hmm. um but also 
my best friends that like I met back then in the hardcore community were like Kevin Reese from Sledge. Um, I met Ronnie Simpson, one of the local fucking legends here in OKC. I met him way back in the day there. Um, Anthony Clark, uh, so many good people in the hardcore community. Today, I met back then fucking 12 years ago. Started going to shows there. They would have shows in Oklahoma City. I'd be scared to drive to the city because I'm like, I hate I-44 and driving up there and back because this weed wasn't legal at the time and I smoked nonstop still. <laughs> sure. And I, I smoked nonstop back then. Mm-hmm. So I was scared to drive on the interstate. So the only time we would go is whenever like me and my Latin homies, the metal homies, we would pack up in the car and just fucking drive there just randomly and go to some of the shows. So I, I got introduced to like the Acacia Strain and shit. Like this was when Wormwood first came out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was like, I got so much catching up to do with all of this music and shit. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm getting, I'm just getting so many new bands every day, metal, hardcore, deathcore, deathcore as in despised icon deathcore. Yes. <laughs> right. Figuring the goddess, you know, style slamming deathcore. You know what right. I mean? That's what I mean when I say I love deathcore. That's the deathcore I'm talking about. Right. Um, But getting you know i all my hardcore friends are introducing me to hardcore back then and then all my metal friends are introducing me to like despised icon and uh, suicide silence and um i can't between the barrier to me Mm -hmm. that was like all these bands i was just like this is fucking amazing where the fuck do i fit in you know what i mean i was like what do i where do what do i play like which one of these feels and sounds like me Mm. and so I got to a point where I started writing music that didn't sound like anything I was listening to. It didn't sound like nothing I was listening to, nothing from nothing from uh, deathcore to hardcore to metalcore. Nothing was sounding like what I was playing. None of my friends knew what to do whenever it came to the stuff I was writing. And then I was watching a Meshuggah video. And then after the Meshuggah video, for some reason, YouTube changed my life and introduced me to slam Mm -hmm. and i was like this is raw this is slow this is trudgy this is terrible this sounds horrendous like (laughs) this sounds like it's coming out of an am radio right now right and this is the best fucking thing i have ever heard in my life Mm -hmm. i got introduced to like some bands like ingested i entered and despised icon though i will say it's pretty fucking slamming to me now that I've heard Slam as much as much as I have, they had Slam riffs. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, I didn't hang out with a lot of death metal people. I didn't hang out with brutal death people at the time. It was always like deathcore and hardcore and like metalcore. For Nobody was really listening to Slam. And so I moved up to Oklahoma City once my kid was like eight years old. She's 12 now. I've been up here for about, no, she, we've moved up here. We've been here for seven years damn i'm losing time bro um we've been here for seven been up here in the city for seven years but i met a friend um this dude named uh david Irwin, my fucking my drummer my one of my favorite people like he was my drummer when i first moved up here in my first band in the city fucking love that guy there's like something about the guitarist and the drummer and their relationships can get a little gay we kiss each other can you see each other at shows on the lips Sometimes that motherfucker's been drinking beer and he's got some wet ass lips. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But might, might sneak about... in a little tongue here and there. <laughs> it ain't... 
I wouldn't consider it full fledged gay. It's a, it's some gay love. Okay. <laughs> but I met David and I met a few other people. I met my friend Ted, um, my friend Ted from up here. Um, but he started introducing me to some real slam, mm-hmm. like some dirty stuff that I was like, this is music. And like other people are like, this is trash. And I'm like, no, nah, this is what music is supposed to sound like. I feel like, but I was still, I was also listening. I was, uh, I had discovered beat down probably like probably eight years ago, to maybe nine years ago, something like that. Mm. I got real big into like no Zodiac and shit real fucking big. Yeah. It's kind of wild. how it comes full circle. I got to play a few shows on guitar with them. That was fucking tight. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the band that entered that like influences me still to this day to like write slow heavy ass riffs right but like learning how learning all that new slam from ted changed me like i was like this is my sound right like i had spent fucking like 15 to 16 years listening to music that was heavy and trying to figure out what the fuck i was gonna play and then once I discovered Slam, I was like, this has this has humorous samples. I was like, this has the riffs I like to play. These songs can be short. I hate long songs because I like songs to be tactical. Uh, when I write a song, I want it to jump in, beat you in the fucking face, blow your mind, and then get out. Yeah. I'm ready to move on. Let's throw a sample in. We'll move on to the next song. Yeah. Like, that's that's the way I like to fucking keep the music and shit. Like, that's what's tactical. Yeah tactical because like getting introduced to all those all those mosh pits back in the day i was like i want to fucking swing on people like what the fuck like i want to fucking beat people like this riff that i'm hearing right here so it came it it got to the point where i was like i only want to write music that my friends would beat each other's ass to (laughs) that's it only that only that only that like what was what else is the point I'm like, what's the there? Is it? There is it. I, I listen to Dream Theater. I'm like, there's no mosh parts. I'm like, what the fuck? I, mean, I, can't, listen, I can't get down to this shit. Right. I think it was. Um, I can't remember uh, exactly if this is a quote, but I think I heard when I was getting into this shit, it was like, um, a band like Nails is a band that's taking all like the heavy music or that kind of stuff. And just like cutting all the fluff or the weak riffs, and it's all just all the fight riffs. And uh, there's an interview with the vocalist from Nails um, with uh, what's that? Nuclear Blast, mm-hmm. and he says, "Jump in, get in there, say what you need to say, and get the fuck out." Right. He's like, "Songs need to be short. Songs need to be." But when he said that, though, it wasn't like, "Oh, that sounds cool. I want to mimic that." No, it was like he was telling me a philosophy. Yes. And that and yeah. that and that doesn't matter if your band plays in standard tuning or drop F, you know, like I think the same applies. It needs to be like come in, say what you want to say and um, and, and you know, leave it on the table. And, uh, and songs are getting shorter, bro. The slowdowns are happening faster. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like people are swinging harder. There's more people jumping off. There's people jumping out of air conditioning vents. You don't even know how they got there. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Like. You were there. Act like you know is a fucking war zone. Yes, and, and, and we will definitely get to that. But I, I want to make sure that we unpack some of the things because I've I've been sitting here like literally feeling like, um, 
it's the story of your life. And I feel like that, like, I didn't want to interject too much because there's just okay. so much so good shit. Where I was at, I jumped in um, with David and my buddy Ted, my friend Zach, my buddy James Belisle. It was the first time I was in a five-piece band mm -hmm. that I felt complete. I didn't have to write everything. I, I, I could write music with other people because they were writing stuff that I was like, okay, hell yeah, that's ignorant. Mm -hmm. like, that's what I want. Like, that's what I want. I want ignorant ass riffs and they got it. So like we would start writing some slamming deathcore stuff back then. But then I started, then I started recording Oklahoma city bands and I met, I met Skylar from Omen. Friend of the show. Big friend Skyler, of the show. Skylar, you're hearing this. Fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his ass is coming over here in a little bit to record a guest spot. Mm. But so I met Skylar. Um, I recorded Omen's first EP, like EP. Um, they had done a single before we had got together. I was like, I'm not charging y'all shit. Y'all are the first band I'm ever recording under the name, under a name, under a business, under right. slam names and recordings. And he, I was like, no money. And they were like, well, what song are we going to do? I was like, let's record all five live and then y'all pick. And then I made those five songs sound so good. They were like, fuck that. Let's just do the EP. We got the drums track. There you go. Right there. Right. No click, no nothing. Everything was live. And that was my first band I ever recorded, mixed and mastered. So mm -hmm. I was like, hell excited about that. But I, I was like, that's also what I want to do. Like, I want to be in a band. I do want to play live. But like. I've always been passionate about the way music sounds mm -hmm. because like growing up by my dad being a car guy, I was constantly around cars with badass sound systems. Mm -hmm. So I always had a car with fucking 12s and 10s and 15s in it. I mean, the, the van that we take on tour that before we got the new one has some 15s in it. You know what I mean? When we pull up to a venue with the trailer, we're literally rattling the shit out of the windows. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I've always been into music and sound and speakers and stuff like that. But then right. I started like becoming a purist, like thought of like, like I want music to sound raw as fuck, but I want it to be clean and legible at the same time. I want to hear the, the guitars and drums. I want to hear those splashes still get hit, but like all the raw music I was listening to and then all the clean music I was, I was learning how to mix. Like, you know what I mean? I had started merging the worlds and that's like, the sound of my studio it's like i'm gonna make it sound like shit but really good yes <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna sound like shit in right. a good way yeah i think you'll fuck with it mm -hmm. i think of it like I, I mix music so that you can bump that shit in your lowrider like i want the kick to like rattle the windows out of a 63 impala you know what right. i mean with hydraulics <laughs> and fucking switches on right like i want people in the in the hood bumping this shit because they're like damn that makes my speakers knock you know right. what I mean? but i I don't think I ever thought the the world of like tricking out cards and low and low riders and all that ha like could influence someone to um and in their heavy music journey. So that's very very interesting to me. I'm going to tell you something and I'm going to trademark this. Please. Slam is gangster rap. <laughs> yes. 1 million percent. Mhm. Mm like you can take videos of gangster rap and put slam underneath it. And it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally all it is. And maybe that's because I was raised by a Mexican father, raised in Mexican culture, you know, Mexican movies and Univision 
on the weekend at my grandma's house every week. I, I, I didn't understand anything they were saying on my grandma's TV, but I was like, this fucking show is great. This bitch just <laughs> slapped. What the fuck? <laughs> like, they just, they slapping everybody on this show. Right. But, well, but all things considered, if there's not a peeling flesh music video in the works with low riders in 2023, I, I will be greatly disappointed. Oh, he's, he's holding up the finger. <laughs> I will say this, and it's a person's name that's going to be helping us do it. But Justice Justice Dodson, he's going to help us do a a lowrider video. Okay. We're going to do something. Like okay, I'm anticipation is is rising. Um, okay, so I I need to get to these these points that you brought up. So I'm putting you on a on a, a five minute talking max and i i'm loving the conversation but like there's so many things that you're you're introducing that i want to um to add to well, what the where i was at on the story was <laughs> i'm like, trying to put you on a on a a, a talking oh, time out. <laughs> my bad no you're good I, I'm, I'm honestly like this is totally unexpected as far as things that we would talk about but i think it's made for one of the most interesting origin stories as far as someone's hardcore journey and we we got plenty of time to cover as much as we want here on the episode the can the, you trim some out too it, it's kind of like a hardcore set it's kind of like you know what happens puts out but unless there's something that you don't want in it well but okay. we can talk okay. about that later the i may just like shorten it for time oh no like here's the thing originally when i started this podcast it was like I would try to do under an hour and then I was like, oh, I think I want I need to go longer because I can't cover as much in a 50 to 60 minute interview. So, you know, if we go two and a half to three hours, I'm not I'm not pressed. But um, the main thing that I wanted to jump back to first is how you were saying um, uh, the the place that you originally moved to that you started to discover hardcore. You were saying how like. (laughs) You know, sometimes you would have hype shows, but most of the time there'd be flops because, you know, it's a smaller town. There was Um, only like eight people that listened to hardcore. Right. But I think that like, I always say this as a reminder for promoters, for people that film, for bands, like you doing a show on the weekend or the weekday, like it might just feel like a Tuesday or like it just might feel mundane, but you never know it's that first person's hardcore experience. It's that first time someone's going to a local show. And that is setting up moments like this where someone's coming on the podcast and talking about it. Every situation matters. Every show matters. It does not matter the turnout. Do never play a show differently because of the turnout. Mm -hmm. Always play every show exactly the same. Like you would, if you're playing in front of a thousand people, if you're playing in front of 20 people, Mm -hmm. We got a we got a show offer one time to play at a random show in Tulsa, an hour and a half away on a Tuesday night. Nobody really wanted to do it because it was so far away, and they knew it wouldn't be a big show. But I said, it doesn't matter. There could be one person at that show that says that band was sick. I have another show that I should put them on, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened at the Vanguard. Dustin Anderson seen my band play and was like, "Y'all need to open for Ingested and Body Snatcher and Signs of the Swarm." That's y'all's show. Right. And we got put on that show and played that show. That was the first time me and my wife hung out. Our first kiss. That was the night that Every, everything that we, connects. Everything connects. I met some people in the industry at that show that have helped mold me into what I am today. Chris Whited from Body Snatcher. The Body Snatcher guys, all of them. Those those men are some real ass genuine human beings that are loving and amazing fucking 
like musicians mm-hmm. and they saw my band back then but met me and followed me and like through all of my band process and they introduced some people to my band's music that helped my future further and if I would have said nah let's cancel that show i would have never been able to fucking have that trickle snowball effect that led to the rest of my life that's mm-hmm. why every show matters yeah you never know yeah and, and, and maybe in the in the moment it's like oh we're taking an l because there's no one here but like you never know how those there's a, there's always a ripple effect and but that's the thing though that's that's what it takes to be in an and i'm not saying i'm successful i'm just saying to be in a successful band is you got to take the l's l's happen that's 90 percent of things you're taking are l's <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's sorry we chose heavy music this is the diy lifestyle this is this is this ain't for rich people because Mm -hmm. they're playing different shows you know i mean this is for people who are like from the streets yeah people from the hood the the slam is gangster rap yeah it's like everything Mm -hmm. um i think the other uh piece that i wanted to i guess reflect on on what you were talking about is like you know, you're you're seeing all these different types of, um, of branches of heavy music, and you're like, where do I fit in the mix of that? And then discovering slam, you're like, yo, this is my shit. And you know, not but to say that you slam though don't mosh, hardcore people mosh. Right. So I was like, I want hardcore people to mosh to slam. Yes, and and I think the the mission uh, of bridging those worlds is definitely the next te- talking point. I want to say, but um, the first is just like. I think once you find it, yeah, like being the being the like writing that shit versus trying to be like, oh, I'm just going to write like let's start a mad ball band or let's start a disembodied worship band. Like there is a time and place for that. But if you're like this is I feel like the bands that are like, yo, this is my baby. And I'm like putting so much of myself into this. That needs to be like the 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 clear influences of what you're doing and 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 putting your own spin on it. For me, when I was when I found Power Trip, I was like, "Oh, bands can riff like this, and it doesn't need to be so low tuned, but it's heavy and it's fast and it's aggressive, and it's and in you your face, mosh. and you need to botch." So that was that band specifically was like uh, a huge point of like for me doing more like riffs, like keeping the riff of anything that i'm doing musically at an all-time high so you were mentioning so you discover slam you're like oh there's people in the hardcore world and then there's a slam world and there's definitely if you zoom out those things are closer in the entirety of heavy music um that most people might not realize and you know to the other points you were talking about there's there's beatdown is apparent it might not be widely loved as maybe it is today um but like you know guilty dog single era like that's when i found cool by con i was like yo this band is gonna be something um that black and white artwork it was just yes. some random youtube link yeah good times <laughs> good times indeed um so it, it's funny because i talked to demontiel uh, singer of feeling flesh on on his podcast about this a little bit about like it seems like Peeling Flesh's mission as a band is not only to rock faces and, you know, play crazy ass shows and, and write dope slam music, but to almost be the um, to build that bridge between the hardcore and the slam world. So talk is 
talk to me about like the why or in the importance of that for you. Obviously we've okay. talked a lot about that, but like, so, when was that apparent that that was the mission statement? So that bridge, that bridge that happened is because I was listening to slam and I was showing my hardcore homies and they were like, and some of them are like, yeah, I fuck with slam. Everybody always like secretly fucks with slam. They'll hear some slam that they like. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. And it's like, Slam is already a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre that it's like it's gotten to the point to where it's like evolved into its own fucking thing. Mm-hmm. There is no rules to it. It's like make a slamming song and the the groups on Facebook will decide whether or not it's slam, basically. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I like I was saying, I wanted people to mosh to slam because I was just like, slam is so close to beat down. It's so close to like to uh, some other down tempo that sounds like some death metal riffs that some hardcore bands are playing. I was just like, why is nobody making these connections? You know, like mentally in my brain, I'm like, you know, why, why are death metal people not hanging out with metal people? Why are metal people not hanging out with hardcore people? Right. I'm going to all these shows to see these bands and I'm just meeting the people that are there. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, why aren't these people coming to these shows? And why aren't these people coming to these shows? I'm like, and in my mind, I was just like, it's because there isn't a band that's bridging that. Mm-hmm. There's not a band that goes to all that the members actually go to all those different genres of shows. Like they're every hardcore really sticks with hardcore, you know, metal really sticks with metal. And so it's like if there was a band that played for all three of those genres, like one of their tour packages. You know, the locals are what really begin to bridge that gap of showing up to other shows is because they want to see a band that they like. But what does it take to be a band that somebody likes? Being 100% genuine. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes honesty. It takes openness. It takes it takes no rules. It You can't pigeonhole yourself. I want to specifically sound like these three bands or... I want to sound like this one band like i want to sound like that it's like no take it all and then honestly do away with all of it sit down and just write what comes to your fucking brain what mm-hmm. comes from your heart the universe is a really big place and we're all connected it's all just energy and we we gather that information from somewhere it you can connect it to the to the universe the universe comes through us and we are an extension of the universe. We're an extension of all things. Every single person in this world is created. That's why when you're at a concert and there's 500 people and five people on stage, that's the reason why all of them beat in rhythm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's your music has to catch people. But also, I'm a really humorous person and I love funny ass hood movies. So do the other people in my fucking friend. And that's the other thing. It's like a real big part of our lives is hood ass, funny ass movies. Like, you know, any black comedies from mm-hmm. shit we grew up in. They were hilarious as fuck. Like hood life type movies. Like everybody has seen some of those. So it's like throwing that in your music that gets somebody's attention. Right. It's not to get somebody's attention. I'm literally throwing that sample in there because I was stoned with my homies and we were like, this would be funny as fuck if we just put this one movie clip right here, this one spot. Right, right. And writing a riff that like we love, but having a drummer that understands slam 1000% and that's Joey. Yeah. That's 
Joey is the biggest slam head I've ever met in my life. The dude is an encyclopedia and thesaurus of fucking slam. <laughs> like, I just randomly will message him, what are you listening to, do, to today? And he'll send me a link, and I'm like, this is fucking amazing. It, it, it never it's like fails. A, it's, it's like your dad originally, like, checking your, uh, you're like, oh, are you listening to something? You're almost, like, doing the same, like, are you listening to slam right now? And he's like, oh, yep, I got it. That's all we listen to. <laughs> well, Jason, Jason only, li- or my guitarist, he only listens to, like, rap and R&B. He's a really fucking good rap artist. He's a really good beat maker. Like the the new EP PF Radio, that any beat in that Jason made it. Our interludes live, Jason made them. Like it takes the rap hood aspect being forced to transform into slam. That's that's the sound of peeling flesh. Right. But then Joey, like I was saying knowing exactly what would be fucking crazy to play on the drums like that is my favorite drummer in the whole world and he's in my band and i he's- and i need to give him a special shout out because the first time i saw that robot i i i almost <laughs> th- he's more cyborg than than human um the first time i saw him drum was when otm played uh snow and flurry fest 2019 first time i saw demontiel play but he was playing bass in uh in mm-hmm in a band so not even doing any squealies or anything but um do the drum cam watching that back i'm like how the fuck is this guy doing this and then the minute that i got wind of cell and and peeling flesh i was like oh my gosh and and i'm pretty sure he also filled in for snuffed on site for the act like you know set so it's like how like someone's got to check if he's got like a, a usb like plugged into the back of his head <laughs> oh, or something awesome. that's our drum program right there <laughs> yeah yeah easy drummer that's it's actually program. named after joey <laughs> we're gonna make a plug-in for 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 drum samples that like his head's gonna be the snare his arm's gonna be like symbol arm and his other arm's gonna be the symbol arm and his legs are like holding up the toms or right. something like that right yeah the no. machine joey, joey shout out to joey if you're listening you've got the fucking chops bro i hope you're oh, fucking man. the next joey jordison or wherever, wherever the fuck things go um i am where i am musically because of joey mm-hmm. straight up yeah without joey i probably wouldn't have made it anywhere with any of my bands at any time like joey i met him when he was like 17 and he was at college going to become a, a drum instructor i mean he wanted to teach kids how to play drums and he was passionate. And he's also an extremely loving and caring human being. Mm. Like there's no anger to Joey at all. Like you really got to piss him off to fucking make him angry. He's, he's a genuine ass fucking human being Mm. who understands slam, who understands drums from going to college for it. And he dropped out so he could fucking tour. (laughs) I mean, my dude, my dude lives, eats, sleeps and breathes fucking music and right. drums mm-hmm. and guitar amazing fucking guitarist he's in a band called bashed in you need to check out bashed in bashed in. everybody needs to check out bashed in okay 100 but um don't, joey don't and last me, name. me and joey we started we were in a band called 762 and then we started strangled and then he was in aberrant construct with me and then we started peeling flesh i mean we were in, we were in another band called loathing existence we were in an <laughs> oh man that dude has had so many bands but and all of them are amazing 
the dude can write an album in a week and but anyways anyways um i was just i was making sure i had bastion queued up on my spotify after after we're done this um going back to where we were talking about samples and kind of like bridging those things and that's like such a unique thing because even if you like dial it back a little bit with hardcore like i've talked about on the podcast before it's like the the only place musically that like um that it's like heavy music like embraces that but is the only other music scene that does a lot of that is like hip-hop and rap and doing little samples and things like that so like and and there's to your credit there's all these like different connections that people don't talk about like the whole like features it's like so common for both of those worlds to do that um so the question i had um is kind of tied to like an ongoing question that i ask for people that have large large bodies of music but i'm going to change it up a little bit for this interview um peeling flesh has a lot of samples on your guys's music there's a lot of people that you said like they hear something and they resonate with it because it's either a movie that they watched or from their childhood or whatever so my question is out of all the samples that that you put on because i know that you you'll be able to recall all, all of these what in your opinion is the most overrated one and what's the most underrated one shit which one of my kids are my favorite kids uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit the most underrated one um and underrated could just be like you thought it would be like like hype people up the most but it's like it just didn't connect with people and and overrated could be the one that like every single person at a show was like i can't believe you use blah 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 well underrated would probably be because it's in a part of the song where it's probably not being caught fast enough so people probably don't know what it is sure oh that's a fucking hard one bro we have so many fucking samples (laughs) um oh bathtub bathtub execution because the very beginning is time for the big dogs. That's <laughs> that's from fucking Scared Straight, the the TV about kids having to go to to fucking see what life is really like. It was a fucking female. Uh, it was a it was a female uh, security or not security guard, but prison guard, and she was talking to these kids. I feel like that's overlooked so much because that whole fucking episode is the most funniest fucking shit ever. Right. I love that show, Scared Straight underrated my favorite though oh man my favorite ain't ain't out yet that's what it is oh okay my favorite ain't out yet the the fucking then the pf radio intro the um did you listen to it did you listen to this link i sent you oh you know what i totally blanked that you did send that to me so i haven't even listened to it yet but yeah fuck it let's play it right now we'll play it at the end everybody gets that sneak peek <laughs> <laughs> now this when will this drop well, uh, I like because PF Radio is dropping um, New Year's Day for Slime Worldwide, and then the day after for streaming. Correct? Streaming. Yeah, yeah. So we're probably gonna put this out like the week beforehand, uh, or we could do the week after. So if either, yeah. either, either or is uh we'll figure it out later yeah yeah <laughs> you'll know like people will know by the time this comes out where it's like you know they did it before or after um but so bridging the gap the whole bridging the gap thing basically boils down to fans have there has to be fans first that are willing to go to a show 
mm-hmm. that they would normally go to and listen to bands that they wouldn't normally listen to. Mm-hmm. Like a band that becomes a gateway for other bands. Mm-hmm. So it's like, or for, for, for fans to meet new bands. So it's like, that's always been my dream is to play it. It didn't matter the genre. I wanted to play for every heavy band that I ever loved listening to growing up. Mm-hmm. So opening for Whitechapel to a sold out fucking show was like life changing. Mm-hmm. We met so many new fans. This like probably like 30 to 40 people locally that were starting to go to hardcore shows and coming to watch like agony and shame and like bands like, you know, local hardcore bands here. And like start going to some of those DIY venues rather than going to the nice venue that's right down the street. You know right, what I mean? Right. And like showing up to a VFW or showing up to a just a rental space that we could fit some speakers into. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> Introducing people to the to the dirty side of it. I think that's what people really connect with. I think people are cleanliness is cool, I guess, you know, that clean look, whatever. But like sometimes it's really nice to be in a dirty ass venue with a palette as the fucking stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I feel like those make for more memorable shows. Like th- there's I've gone to so many shows at giant like five to a thousand cap rooms and van- bands kill it and it's a good time. But remember like remembering when I play a basement of someone's house or um seeing a band doing an underpass show or like seeing a video online of someone playing at a denny's like the list goes on and on to make those you know maybe the attendance of those shows is maybe only 10 percent, but you know the vibes are like 10x we played a basement with boundaries in wichita kansas a fucking basement of a house that was like 10 foot by five foot tiny ass fucking basement right but that's where i met boundaries and now every time we see each other, we're like, hey, you know what I'm saying? We're like, we played that terrible ass house, put a hole in the wall. Yeah. Just off the <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I, and yeah, I think it's like, it's, it's heightened if you're playing those shows, uh, instead of just, uh, attending them. But, um, jumping back to the samples, um, has there been any samples that either you fought for that never made it to certain songs? Or does everything go straight to tape? Pretty much, we're all like, yeah. And if we think of something better, we think about it collectively. Hmm. We're like, we're like, nah, this would be even sicker. Or like, sometimes, like I'm like, hey, here's the final mix, and then I'll send them, hey, here's a second final mix, and like the sample will change. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> like the PF Radio outro, I've changed that like twice, maybe three times already. Mm. I had to put a fucking a sample of my guitarist in the garage writing a song called uh, uh, "Hey Fucker, Where's the Adderall?" <laughs> he, doesn't do, he doesn't do drugs. He doesn't do anything. Doesn't drink. Doesn't smoke weed. Doesn't do nothing. Right. But we overheard our friend on the phone. Hey fucker, where's the fucking Adderall? We're about to do a long ass drive to Austin. I guess he wanted an Adderall to stay awake. Sure. So Jason heard that. She's like, "Damn, I'm gonna turn that into a song." Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the outro. That's the outro to PF Radio. So that I fucking love that shit. So I asked this question because I I think that Peeling Flush is onto something when it comes to actually being like you guys are playing bigger and bigger shows. Like I just see the online presence growing and growing every single year, and I and I and I hope 
and 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 just have a gut feeling that you guys will be on some serious level shit um whether that's label or, or whatever it is and i'm i'm sure there's things that maybe you can't even say uh to me on the podcast in, in this kind of setting. it's the tours it's the tour offers that i'm like i'm mad that i have to keep quiet right now like the one we're going <laughs> to announce the one we're going to announce in january like yeah i'd have never thought that like the in sync of him basically would want <laughs> to take us on a fucking leg of a tour. Sure. Like with another fucking with a backstreet boys of slam and a fucking 98 degrees of slam. You know what I mean? And then like the new kids on the block version of slam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm we're going to be on that package. And it's like, it's hard to keep that shit quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe you'll tell me after the interview, but my question though is with all these samples, is there anything in the back of your mind that like, if there's any record deals that they're like, Oh, we would love to do this, but you're like, Oh, we actually, is there anything where it's like, we might need to clear these samples per se, or you're they like, these nuts. Hey, these are- <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Every time I, I, I submit our music to get uploaded at distro, it gets fucking canceled right at the fucking very beginning. They're like, Nope, ain't gonna work. That's why. The only way to hear our music the way it was meant to be heard is on the Slam Worldwide links. That's mm. it. Because Spotify is like, nah, you did not clear this or this or this or this or this. Yeah. <laughs> so so is the, the streaming versions of the songs off PF Radio and then the Slam Worldwide going to be just subtly different as far as different samples? More than likely. Oh, okay. More, that's the way they've constantly been. The only time that they cleared them without like like without telling us no was um the winter mixtape i don't know how the fuck we got away with that but we hmm. got away with it yeah <laughs> yeah because there's still samples on it that i'm like oh yeah that's from so-and-so um but yeah like m- m- maybe like from a producer's perspective is it more the more you distort it the more that you could potentially hey yo stay away from oprah <laughs> <laughs> Guess uh, number two. Sorry if I interrupted. Oh, he brought a Bev. He brought yeah, multiple Bevs. Yeah. We're talking about samples, though. He's like, you ever thought about trying to clear your samples beforehand? I was like... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> it, 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 there's there's something within me that would be like hilarious if any of like you would i i don't want this to happen but i would almost think it would be like hilarious to see the news articles of peeling flesh is in a legal situation off of a sample off of some hood movie from you know the 90s or something so we get so popular that fucking warner brothers tries to come after our- <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so funny um Yo, check that Bev before you drink it. What you got? The fucking Loca Mocha. Monster fucking coffee. Yeah. He he drinks the Loca Mocha. I'll like on my way to work, I'll grab the caramel one. Okay. He likes the caramel one too though, but it's good shit. I, I was I was very hesitant. I'm like, how are we gonna do another guest coming on without a Bev? But he had two, so props. I went to the hood store, they didn't have the other ones. I had to get the <laughs> bodega. Hell, you should have grabbed me an L four. 
we need to be sponsored by a fucking elf bar. Yeah. Tours nuts, bro. It looks like <laughs> it looks like a fucking war zone helicopter with all the shells. It's not shells, it's elf bar. Just all <laughs> scattered all over the van. Where my elf bar at? I don't know. Mine's dead. Right. Here, plug mine in? <laughs> plug in my plug in my vape. <laughs> Um, speaking of a war zone, um, let's talk about your act like, you know, fest set, um, because it was very funny. I was sitting, you, you know, for those that are unaware, the fest is in one room and then there's a room just off of the, the main area that was like the merch tables and, and kind of different things. And I was sitting down the cafeteria to the, um, to the VFW hall kind of vibes. Um, and y'all started playing and I was like, oh, I have to I have to go watch these guys because I know I just because of the fest growing and the name change and the vibes just being so much different. And you guys actually playing the main day versus the pre-show last year. I knew that it was going to be a hype set. And I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm missing a, a second of this. So I heard y'all start. And I was like, okay, I, I gotta go. I gotta I go watch Peeling Flesh. And I walked up to the the door that's closer to the stage. And yeah. Chance, aka Fubu Man, I know where this is going. <laughs> cartwheeled into the door that because there's two doors. One is open. He cartwheels into the door that's closed. And I swear I I could feel the screws almost like coming off the hinges of that door. <laughs> and yeah. and I was like, Oh, it's like this. Okay. Yeah. And it was fucking bro. That that was the I wanna say that was the most wildest set. Probably was the most wildest set. But like there was some close seconds. It was like that shit was violent. And bro, like we were talking about with earlier, like with slam and shit, like people don't do that for slam. Like people don't do that at slam shows. Hmm. When we play slam shows in, in Texas that aren't our, like, Texas homies, like, not everybody in Texas is our homies. I don't want to say that. But, like, the people who are strictly death metal crowd, they hate the hard monsters. And, like, it's like push monsters versus hardcore monsters, you know sure. what I'm saying? Like People that want to stand at the front and fucking swing their hair. And... When Peeling Flesh plays, that's the only time that they're, like, anything goes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like some of those push moshers will try to hard mosh and they're just running around literally just swinging on people <laughs> right right yeah it to quote um isaac from knock loose um there's nothing better than being the band that people are genuinely afraid of and you know i i told aaron i'm like how irresponsible of you to put cell peeling flesh and then snuffed on site in the middle of the fest thankfully after endgame played so i was like oh i don't have to like follow up any of that i was just shocked that people still had gas in the tank for hold my own which played right after snuffed and it, it carried all the way throughout all the night yeah i will say sunday i felt like it was like oh, but like that's <laughs> the the act like you know scary band rock block where it was you guys sell and and snuffed was like that's it was you guys being sandwiched in the meal middle of that that i actually was fearing for my life with everything that was happening um i think i learned my lesson and then when snuff played i'm like i have to be a stage potato for this band because <laughs> i can't continue on but um yeah any other thoughts like comparing to your guys's set last year because I, I definitely think that even at the pre-show i just felt something in the room 
um, that I was like, oh, like this is a this is an Oklahoma band that I think is going to be really important in the years to come. And that said, it act like you know was just my um, uh, me that me confirming that thought that I had a year ago. But any other thoughts that you guys want to talk about when it comes to that set and, and the response and and where you think um, that will take the band in in the next little while? Man, I I I have always like since I discovered Hey Five Six, just one of those other bands that was like, my dream is to be on the archive. Like straight up, it was either it's either it's like Hey Five Six, Scoped Exposure, One Nine Seven Media. That's that's like the three that like I my dream is to like be on one day. Yeah, and so the tri- those, I, I call it the Almighty Triforce. <laughs> all three, yeah. but I was like really nervous to be on hate five six but i was like just play your set you know what i'm saying it was just like just be yourself so it was like in my mind every set i'm like i hope people move i hope people have fun and mosh you know what i mean i hope somebody gets hurt that'd be sick but like if they don't that's cool too so it's like always going with like zero expectation and then there and then sets like act like you know happen and you're just seeing it looks like a kids gym with like kids doing cartwheels and jumping on each other like you had gave a whole bunch of like daycare children meth or some shit and they're just like hey, <laughs> fuck out of each other bro that shit had that shit made my life like i right. that was like a core memory you know what i mean mm-hmm. that little blue ball inside of my brain yeah, from, yeah. you know what I'm talking about from inside out <laughs> oh dude i referenced that movie and that whole way that they um framed that up all the time I was almost I was gonna make a joke like achievement unlocked with the Xbox three sixty bar overhead. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was though. I mean achievement unlocked. And like man, I don't know. I I love my Texas homies. Like Chance and the whole crew. You know what I mean? Like everybody like part of that crowd that like comes like, you know, from Amnesia Garden, Deep Incision, the Ballista folks, you know, ev- everybody and all those bands down there. You know, it's like that's extended family. Right. So it was like act like, you know, seeing all my Texas family there and like knowing that, like, if nobody moshed, they were going to beat the shit out of everybody. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I was right. like, it didn't matter to me. I was like, I'm if anything, I'm playing for my Texas friends mm-hmm. and my Tulsa and Oklahoma friends. But seeing people from bands from other states and countries moshing to your music, it's it means something when, when somebody moshes to your shit, that means that you're doing something right. Yeah. So it's like, I was, that really made me feel like peeling really has a future, like really, really has a future. Yeah. Like if you can, if you can genre jump like show wise, you know what I mean? Like that and get the same reaction all across the board. Like you might be doing something right. Right. So just, we're just going to keep getting high and fucking hanging out in our lawn chairs listening to spotify listening to gangster rap listening to hood movies <laughs> we're still gonna be listening to ridiculous slam mm-hmm. and just continuously being ourselves and writing music like we've been writing yeah we drop what, like five eps now like five eps in a, in a year we got a fucking we're about to drop that new one and we already got a new one started so yeah we already started yeah we we've already started on slamaholics volume two Damn. and it's pf radio ain't even out yet we have like five P- songs is pf radio is an ep mm-hmm. okay it's a series it's it's 
everything is like so damn i can't reach it but up there you ever heard of the projects no is that that, that green green shirt we got some show and tell about to happen okay the projects yeah yeah this band shaped me into who i am today okay play it from the beginning the whole so that shit is a 30 minute song <laughs> right off, really you can't skip through any of it you just got to listen to it from beginning to end it's in okay. mixtape form so every release from peeling is a vibe mm. it's like like human pudding is like its own songs like the winter mixtape was like its own three songs pf radio is like its own four songs like it's like gotcha. radio station based you know what i mean it has like the beginning intro with like somebody dialing in through the radio and shit and i put some funny ass samples in there <laughs> <laughs> and then chill ass saxophone beat comes in and then it's d talking and like a really deep like very white voice it's it's like it's its own vibe so mm-hmm. everything is kind of just like we drop little bitty episodes is what i it feels like mm-hmm. little episodes every four months, every four or five months. Yeah, I, I like the the way that you're framing it there versus like, OK, like it's every two years we got to write a record and then and do the LP run and all that kind of stuff. I like it where it's like here are episodes and it's almost like you're kind of following along like it's a um, a series or a show or, or something. I yeah, like that. Right. like like how rap does with mixtapes. Mm-hmm. I mean, rappers drop mixtapes all the fucking time. Like in between albums, they're dropping mixtapes, like fucking eighteen songs or twenty songs of just them freestyling over beats and shit. Mm-hmm. It's like they just took the same concept. Slam is gangster rap. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of that, you guys had a shirt, and well, you have a design, I will say, and I, you, know, you were uh, homie enough to to sauce me one of the shirts, and it's just slamming gangster groove. SGG, big letters. And I was like, That's a rip. It's a rip? Yeah, that's a DJ's rip. Oh, uh, okay. From Houston. Gotcha. So, me, D, and Jason, all three, like, reeling, like, real inclined to Houston music. Mm-hmm. Like, UGK, fucking um, everybody. There's so many to fucking name in Texas rap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's a really big influence on us because that was like, that was the first music to get chopped and screwed back in the day. Like DJ Screw's the first person to chop the screw music. You know I'm saying I got the DJ yep. Screw CD right here. My homie from Caustic made me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're real big screw heads. So yeah, that shirt SDG. That's a rip of a screwed up click. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I like I'm just like man, it is such a flex for a band to put out a shirt with you know like this is what our music sounds like but we don't even have to put our fucking logo or name on it like, I'm like <laughs> yeah. that's a fucking flex but uh that that makes a little bit more sense as far as um um pulling some inspiration from some other things we love the rips we think of ideas all the time mm-hmm. and then i'll just like pay my homie to make us a whole bunch of rips <laughs> and like he'll do them like legit as fuck shout out daniel fierce from gamma sector like mm-hmm. my dude he, he helps us out with like basically all of our designs right besides the pf radio stuff we went to a specific person who does rap artwork to design that this dude named funky arts check him out funky arts on yeah. instagram dude does amazing stuff yeah but we wanted to go the rap route for pf radio so we went to funky arts well but 
that was kind of the thing um, that D was saying a lot on on his episode of just like how your brain, as far as like how how to package all this stuff together, because you know people can write badass music and have great production and put it out, but if it's not packaged well and there's not things that kind of have like a breadcrumb trail, and you think about how how are ways that I can stand out in the sea of breakdowns, if you want to call it that. Um, where does that come from for you? Is there like, has that just been apparent in your life of like, oh, like this is like you were always like in tune with thing with people that were just doing things slightly different or was that something you just learned over time? Well, I just liked how certain artists were doing certain things. Mm-hmm. I like, and, and no genre specific, like in all, like growing up listening to rap, I was paying attention to like what a lot of like East Coast rappers were doing. And like a lot, a lot of the way, like they were dressing and shit. I mean, it, it, it all, the whole culture comes together and like folds in whenever it comes to peeling flesh. It's like, it's, it's our culture that we were raised with as far as like hood lifestyle stuff. So like growing up and then seeing rappers drop things a certain way or start seeing, you know, like metal bands drop things a certain way or, and I always thought like I wanted to be different from everybody, whatever it came to like like the way that I was going to package my music. So like, it wasn't real. No, I think it was the lack of thinking of what I was going to do exactly. And it was just like doing what felt right. What felt awesome. What felt like this would be awesome. This would be awesome. This would be awesome. But executing, but also seeing that your execution don't work sometimes and starting over. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? So it's like, it makes it, nice dropping something every four or five months because i can make a a merch package with merch that matches an artwork and then dropping cds and cassettes and you know other t-shirts you know and stuff like that that's like its own era like those episodes have their own like things with memorabilia that can come with them Mm -hmm. so but yeah i mean i haven't always thought like that i've it's just something that was like once peeling started i kind of i kind of took the reins and was like but not took the reins and like i made all the decisions no it's like i took the reins and like hey here's some ideas let's work on them as a group mm-hmm. and then everybody but the, that's the cool thing about peeling flesh is is that every single member in the band like is on the same plane everybody's on the same level nobody's yeah. vote is higher than another person's nothing like that just because one person may do more than the other person in the band it doesn't matter to any of us it's all about like what we can achieve as a band, as a five piece on stage. Mm-hmm. So like we'll work things out together as a group. And it was it's the first time in my life that I've been with five dudes that that can happen with no friction. Yes, yeah. And the and the minute that there is something where and and you know it's 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 very rare for four or five guys or gals or or a combination of both to be able to come together with a collective vision um and all put in the gusto and all the hard work that's required and that's yes unanimously yeah not just for a year either like for multiple years Mm -hmm. continuously going and knowing that there's a longevity and seeing thinking farther down the road rather than just thinking oh we're gonna have a cool great six months and then split up it's like i hate that shit i hate when good ass bands do that stupid shit yeah fucking start a cool ass band, drop an EP, then dip. Yeah. The fuck? Right. Like, but you know, to your point, doing all the right things, like, 
like we could sit here right now and lay out everything for every band to do perfectly. There is still a, a very crucial sliver of luck and you know right timing with things and not and nothing actually being guaranteed but yep. you will actually never know if you don't have those things in place you don't try so it is kind of like the um the the excitement of the pursuit of maybe versus like it it 100 will but there's a lot of things that we're talking about here that give you a way better shot to even uh you know step up to the plate i mean it but it's also it's very easy to be a weekend band. It's very easy to just be a local band that just plays every local show that just goes and travels within the same state, maybe one state over. Mm. It's very easy to just become that band, but it takes the willingness of every member saying, let's leave our fucking comfort zone and let's go. Like, let's spend some money and buy a van. Let's buy a trailer. Let's buy good gear. Let's use the money from the band not to pay ourselves, but to invest in the future of the band. Yes. Yeah. And it, because not every band member is going to be able to help the band financially. There's going to be some in different situations where somebody can't financially help more than the other. Okay. That's fine. Everybody put into the band musically then and travel and do the shows, put in the work of becoming a real band and then let the band account grow itself. Mm-hmm but it takes smart people to continuously let that ball grow because mm-hmm. that ball is going to grow financially. Your band, you know, money is going to grow and then it's going to deplete. You got to buy shit. You got to buy merch. You got to pay for shit. So I'm having to the van. We need to fucking change the, tr- the get the transmission rebuilt on the van. Yep. $2,000. You know, we're, we're trying to part to put the money together out of our pockets too and doing a pre-order, but like, we're still gonna have to pull some money out of the yeah. band. The, the shirt but pre-order link will be in the description of this video as well. So people go sauce that shirt up. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're going to – we're hoping that we can get that fucking transmission rebuilt real fast. But, but you know, that band ball is not being scared of it losing the money either. It's just having the initiative to continuously grow it. Right. So, you know, Peeling has made some pretty decent money this year because we were able to do that. You know, we didn't have to go on tour to California and back and lose hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars personally. Yes. Like we, and we were still able to stay in one, you know, really nice hotel. (laughs) (laughs) We stayed at one really good hotel. Everybody needed a shower. But most of the time we stayed in the vans, um, but we used the money to feed ourselves and gas. It's being able to do it smart. And that's, that's how bands can continue yeah but also man it's really the largest part is coming out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and doing things that you're like it's real scary it's scary taking off work you know uh, fucking trying to get your job to be okay with you taking multiple days off a year you know it's yeah. you could lose a career over that shit you know? yeah and but it's the it's the willingness to be like if i don't follow this i'm gonna regret it and that's, I mean, that's how I feel. I feel like if I don't follow my dreams right now, I'm not going to physically be able to later. Mm-hmm. We only got so much time left. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow or not. We don't know. We yeah. Well, the, the other thing, too, that I'll add to that is, like, like I'm, I'm turning 30 in a couple weeks here, so I'm, like, you know, four or five years younger than you, Michael. And so 
at least in my experience, there was a time in my twenties where I kind of thought I missed the 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 boat when it came to like same get room, playing same. in a in a hype band and, and going out. And it was only until Endgame started that I was like, oh shit, like I think that I'm onto something. And I think that realization, and I'm sure that you're probably feeling that, like even being a few years older than me, it's like, hey, I'm 34 and you got a kid and you got like other shit in the works for you, but like it's still that thing where very few people within music get an opportunity like those kind of levels of opportunities like every every band will get you know the the local shows and things like that but like very few people get like those okay it's time to put your cards down and 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 put some things on the line to 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 even just uh like like i said step step up to the plate so um the minute that I i felt the same way i thought that i had missed my chance because I took eight years off to raise a kid. You know what I mean? Um, I, my, my daughter needed a father, needed a parent. So, you know, I was there for my kid. Right. So I felt like I was doing things at 33 that people were doing at 23. Right. And bands that I was watching and successful bands that I was seeing. And I thought that I had missed my mark, but then it, but it came a point where I had to like, not give a fuck. Mm -hmm. It's gotta just, but I think Not the difference it. for you is that you like like everything that you've been explaining, it's like you're not just like, oh, I have to do this and I'm not thinking about the consequences of my actions. You're like very aware of like, okay, it's a sacrifice to be able to go on this tour, but I like I have things in place. I'm gonna do this smartly. Um, even though smartly is kind of a dumb word to, to be using here. But, <laughs> I almost said that shit earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like you, you're wise enough um, based off your ears, I feel, to like do it right. And, you know, it's still, there's still risk in place, but you're not like a dumb 20 year old just being like, oh yeah, we can do this uh, month long tour with no like, you know, signed guarantees of, of get, getting paid. So yeah, like. No, we can't do that. Uh, my man's here has it has it how old is Solana now uh six months seven months this my man's right here he's got a six seven month old seven month old I mean I I got my 12 year old and 12 is a hard year to raise kids (laughs) and you know um D lives an hour and a half away from us uh Joey is in like five bands you know Austin has dogs to take care of I got two sleeping right here. So yeah, it's everyone's got their own. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got shit, but like, I think it is, I think you're absolutely right when it's like the, when the unexpected signs come up where it's like, Oh, you're onto something and don't give up and push hard and, and do it smart. Um, you know, you could be 40 years old, you could be 18 years old, but like taking, taking that leap is so vital because um because if not you're going to be thinking about that for the rest of your life but also not letting those bumps in the road make you think that you shouldn't continue you just gotta go totally i mean like sometimes failing some opportunities like failing them is really really bad for you mentally but it's all about how you come back from it Mm -hmm. you know it's i was in a i was in a band before peeling flesh that you know was starting to get really really successful i mean the most successful band that I've ever been a part of. I mean, me and Joey built that shit from ground up and you know, that failed fucking miserably. (laughs) You know what I mean? But 
it was hard to come back from that. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that how I was able to come back from that though is because of my wife, my kid, but also my brothers and my band. Like we're family first. We we are we are family before the band. Mm-hmm. We care about one another. When something happens to the other person in this band, we drop what the fuck we're doing and we help the other person. Not because we feel like we have to, but it's because we love each other so much as family that it's that it's that it's no thought i'll fucking drop everything on the dime and drive two hours for for d yeah if d needs me you know and everybody in this band is the exact same way and it takes that to continue Mm -hmm. it takes that to be in a van together (laughs) be stuck in a van together with other people it's very hard to get in a van and stay with somebody that you don't get along with but everybody in this band we're family. It's it's easy to get along. Some of us are more family to each other than our own real families. Hmm. <clears throat> that was nice. That was a very sentimental and then just <laughs> burping. <at the> <laughs> <end>. <laughs> yeah, no. It's um yeah, it's very <clears throat> there's I can see when a band has that unified vision. Uh, a for the band but also just for the people like that they're they're doing these because as as corny and cheesy as it sounds it's like yeah like you you become you don't really you're in a friendship with people but then when you start playing a band it almost becomes like a marriage and there's like family dynamics with all of that so it's it's very crucial as the stakes rise and you guys are doing more things and there's more pressure to be able to do xyz to keep that foundation solid and keep people in check and keep like everyone like on point when it comes to their stuff and making sure it's like hey like like are like what's what's thrown off the the vibe right now with with you know whatever and just having it be like let's get our 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 the in the insides of this ship right before we can blast off to the moon yeah i mean anytime there's something anytime we don't wait. That's that's the biggest thing. We don't wait for something to happen and then wait for it to get so bad that it boils over and explodes and mm-hmm. then band members are weird with each other. We address that shit. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have to be like, hey, here's a fucking problem and we need to talk about it. No, it, it's like seeing the problem and then maybe it was something that you did and you don't do that again and that could fix that problem. Right. It's everybody being conscious of their own actions in the band and not doing something that's going to intentionally step on another person's toes. Mm-hmm. Like we're all here at the table to eat. We're all here at the table to fucking be here and work together. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got to worry about it because if we see somebody's foot hovering over us, we'll start to say something. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have to be a fucking argument. It doesn't have to be an issue. Like every single situation could be handled without negativity. Mm-hmm. Every single situation. Mm-hmm that off it's not always easy either but you can it's not always easy no it's not but it takes dedication yeah and it's like about seeing like seeing the 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 long tail aspect of everything it's like you know i I, i'm i i really want peeling flesh to be a band that goes on for 10 plus years like and i believe that you guys would like have the sauce and the the mindset that's needed for for bands to do that and and like you said like some bands they put out a couple things they get they play a hype fest 
they have like a little bit of a moment and then they break up and and that's just like the average lifespan of a lot of bands within the hardcore scene but like just everything that i'm hearing and i just think the why behind this band is just i i think peeling flesh is here to stay and i'm i'm really happy because we want to say because it was always community first mm-hmm. we don't want to not go to fucking festivals and hang out with our friends i mean yeah we want to go to festivals and play them too don't get me wrong but our most fun is being in a community fucking hanging out with our fucking music homies everybody stopping and meeting each other what was it last year at the pre-show I think we played right after first day out. Yep. I think. So <laughs> I grabbed the you were there. I grabbed the mic and I was like, yo, we don't sound nothing like that. <laughs> Please, you know, but if you fuck with gangster rap and lowriders and you know hydraulics and shit, you might fuck with this shit. So mm. people stuck around. But I like the community better because the community community aspect better because I met fucking Luke from first day out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I ended up meeting somebody who was really fucking awesome that I'm still friends with, like really good friends with to this day. Like it's all about like just meeting new friends for us. Right. We just want new more friends to fucking hang out with when we go places. We mm-hmm. just want we we love the the contacts and the connections that we make with people. Like yeah, a lot of the time they're like, "Yo, your band is sick. Thanks, bro. What band are you in?" Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like where y'all from? Like where y'all guys? What y'all's been used like? Y'all mosh there? Like, what's yeah. Mosh there? <laughs> <laughs> it was the craziest yeah. shit that's happened in your city, you know. Right, right. And don't ask me if that's... there's lowriders in Canada because there those are few and far between. We don't have the um the uh the ongoing uh weather conditions to um ah, yeah. to make it yeah, appropriate. I can I ain't gonna drive the lowrider in the snow, fuck that. Somebody, <laughs> somebody down there is I promise. Yeah. yeah. My lowrider parked in the driveway. Yo, if you're listening to this and you're you live in Canada and you have a lowrider, please comment on the video yeah send me a, send me a prove email. me wrong right <laughs> we'll email some uh, peeling flesh stickers we'll mail them we'll mail you some peeling flesh stickers if you got yes. a low rider in canada <laughs> you said it we will make it happen um michael one of the last things uh, and this kind of ties to the the pf radio stuff that um you know we're using this interview to to help promo um what is y'all's deal with dropping all your new music around the holidays it's like is that intentional or is it just like oh that kind of would be funny the holidays it's more like because you dropped one ep um on christmas eve Mm -hmm. and then you're dropping this on new year's day and then Mm -hmm. ironically and i totally forgot about this but i was re-listening to to d's interview we dropped the peeling flesh live set on thanksgiving on thanksgiving which as a canadian i'm just like oh that's weird that it's in november but i totally forgot that it, it was thanksgiving so i don't know if there's something around the peeling flesh holiday shit but no i guess well it's more like i wanted to drop this on january 1st because of the time frame of us finishing for one but for two i was like that would be sick as fuck to just start the new year with the most wildest shit that we've ever done yes you know? Like with the most wildest music, this is this is PF Radio is the accumulation of us being a band together and where it's at in this point in time. Mm-hmm. As like this is us, it's like this is really us right mm-hmm. here. Like you know everything gets refined. You know what I mean? And like January first dropping PF Radio, I feel like PF Radio is really. I think that's what's 
going to catch more people's attention than anything we've ever done. Mm. Now, if it happens or if it doesn't happen, whatever, I don't give a fuck. We're going to do another EP in six months. We're going to try again. Fuck. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I'm very excited. Uh, like, you've already given me a, an early access to listen to it. So, definitely going to um, take up on that. Uh, on that link afterwards, but I'm excited for other people to, to hear it as well. Um, even for the people listening to this podcast, that have never listened to peeling flesh ever. Like this is, you know, obviously I want to hype up the bands that I have on here, but like out of any heavy band that I've listened to in the last couple of years or since doing this podcast, peeling flesh is definitely top five and definitely a band that when I talk about slam shit and, they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I'm like, okay, you need to listen to Slamaholics right now, and uh, in their minds, and it, things start to open. It's kind of like doing mushrooms for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a it's a brain explosion because it's just like it doesn't sound when somebody says slam. You, I mean, you obviously think of something similar maybe to Peeling Flesh, but it's mm. like once you hear it, you're like, holy shit, that's a way different evolution of slam. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's what I, I'm like. Whoa, that's that's slam in 2022. You know what I mean? Soon to be 2023. Soon to be 2023. Right. It's like starting the year off with slam changing with PF Radio coming out with a game changer. What a game changer! Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. This this stuff is really really hard to play. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think has the worst time when it comes to the the music? Is it is it Joey or is it guitar stuff? Is is harder? Uh, again joey is like uh like cortana mixed with uh terminator t1000 and uh and robocop all all together um but who who has the harder time or is there does it ebb and flow it's i mean honestly honestly probably austin on bass trying to play the guitar parts (laughs) (laughs) trying to play riffs with strings that are just so much thicker What's the hardest part of the band? You mean like playing wise or writing wise? Uh, playing wise. Definitely me. My brain is gone. So yeah, I yeah, really <laughs> yeah. So Jason wrote all of the PF Radio stuff like three years ago, oh, and okay. so when it came time to like use it for for now, it like it, it got refined. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The songs got shorter. Um, they got played. Some parts got placed in different parts, but then like. And then reproduced, you know what I mean? Like right. basically from ground up so that way they could be in a whole new session, be released as something new. But Jason just gave me an MP3 file and said, these are the riffs. I'm like, you don't even have like the files? You don't have like the stems or anything for me? Like listen to the guitar by itself? He's like, nah, this is all we got. <laughs> I don't remember how to play it either. So he, didn't know, it. he didn't know how to play it. He didn't remember what tuning it was in. Um, All he knows is it was a it was an Ibanez Geo with one pickup with super slinkies on it and like drop G. This man did not set you up for success <laughs> for learning these songs. Like writing, learning the riffs so that I could record the riffs was like re- reverse engineering a UFO, like straight <laughs> up, so like the scientist straight up, like looking at a fucking alien language right. and trying to figure out how the hell it works. I was I would send Jason videos of me finishing little clips and be like, "Fuck you." The <laughs> <laughs> riffs are so fucked up. The and riffs like, are they're not easy to relearn. Like they're different. yeah, they're they're just wild. Like all Jason's like Jason's my favorite slam guitarist because mm-hmm. the stuff that he comes out of his hands is always on the fly, on the spot. 
You know what I mean? And it's always the best shit. Hmm. Like my favorite slam guitarist is in my band and I get to fucking play his riffs. Yeah. Sometimes it really fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Joey, Joey and Jason are really the writing force whenever it comes to the band. I mean, hmm. obviously I pitch in and, and Austin pitches in, but for me, I'm more like, I'll take their riffs and like, not restructure, but like just reproduce and then like play them a little bit differently with my hands you know but joey is a fucking machine that dude can write an album in like four days <laughs> it's ridiculous like he there's no stopping joey he has no block in his brain at all and now he's playing guitar and writing guitar stuff with bastion i mean he wrote a lot of guitar stuff for peeling flesh he's an amazing guitarist man i think joey might be next on the list for peeling flesh podcast guests so you know We'll do, we'll do that at the six month next you know release i'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. hit him up um, next holiday yes exactly yeah the next holiday when it's uh first you know uh spring break or or whatever the fuck um so uh michael this is honestly like and i'm not just saying this because you're on the call like this interview went in a direction that i was totally not expecting but probably might be one of my top in definitely in my top interviews so far of this season and I even think in the next, you know, 79 or however many people we have left, this might be one of my favorites. It was oh, yeah. wholesome. Um, your storytelling ability is like um, unmatched. And the the mission and the why behind what your band is doing outside of just rocking faces is, is very something um, super commendable. And uh, just, again, really appreciate your time. The last portion of this podcast, as I'm sure you know, is a favorite Mosh-related story that you would like to share. And since we got two homies on the podcast, we get two Mosh, mosh stories. So. Don't let it be the Orthodox show, because that's what I'm about to say. Mm. The wildest <laughs> shit I've seen. All right, thank Hold on. Yeah, while I'm telling mine, you think of yours. Um, all right, so anytime Orthodox comes here, it's it's terrible. I'm not terrible in a bad way, but I mean... You getting hurt? Yeah. You getting, you, getting, you getting walked on with with steel toe boots? I mean, when it comes to OKC and my mosh homies here, they don't get no fucks. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Orthodox. They came with Frost Coffin, I think. They hadn't even got through the intro, bro. They hadn't even got through the intro. There wasn't even no full band playing yet, and people started moshing. And all I see is like maybe Colton or Skyler, Colton from Sledge or Skyler from Cell. Yeah, two great friends of the podcast. I will add as well. Moshing. We've already we've already shouted out Skyler, but uh, Colton as well. Phen I think Oklahoma just like, has so many sick bands. But sorry, continue with your story. It was like it was like man, Stephen Ward, Colton, Skyler. There's a dude here named PK. PK, a real gang member. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But he comes to shows. He comes to shows just to mosh. And then he goes back to, you know, hood activity. As soon as he leaves, <laughs> okay. goes back to hood instead. <laughs> I seen PK just straight start moshing on somebody. And then sick. It was just a blur of arms and fists. And right next to the stage at 89th Street is a black curtain. Like, it's a it's got like a railing curtain and it was like it looked like the hulk had taken that curtain and ripped it out because all i've seen is like p 
people moshing and then like six people go flying into that fucking thing and taking out the whole curtain and almost knocking over the fucking PA off of the stage. Lost power to the fucking stage. <laughs> Everything shuts off at the front side of the fucking venue. That was probably one of the most craziest. The other the other craziest is probably any chance story that you're ever gonna hear. <laughs> I've seen chance just there's demolish been, there's, people. There's been a lot of requests to have him on the show, and I think yes. and and you know, chance if you're listening. Let's set it up. I think let's give the people up? what they want. <laughs> you want me to hit him up? Oh, I know that I could hit him up. I okay. think it's just I'm that. Yes, it, it will happen. You gotta put, his name. You gotta put Fubu Man. You gotta put Fubu Man. Yes. Fubu Man. This is the interview with Chance the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> my man's be toasted nonstop. Right. He's my spirit animal. No, there needs to be Ooh, a man is my spirit animal. Oh my god! <laughs> At the end of your episodes, bro, you need to have tell me your favorite mosh story, and then tell me your favorite chance mosh story. <laughs> <laughs> when I have chance on, it's just me pulling all these other stories and playing it for him instead of him telling his own story. That's funny. He's gonna be like this and go, "Hell yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we got we got one uh, mosh story uh, in in the chamber. Oh, your um, story? What you I'm got, bro? The garage at Slam Fest. Oh man! So we had Slam Fest at a, oh, at a house man. this year. It's my birthday show I have every year, like in June. We did it at a house this year, and there was too many fucking people. There was, oh my god, the owner of the house. We put a body through the fucking. It was amazing. To the drywall, and the owner was like, "That set was sick." <laughs> what are you mad about the hole in the wall or nothing? Right. But yeah, we're the- talking about uh, moshing shit. Uh, I will say I got to give it to Texas. They put in fucking work anytime we play, and they make our mosh dreams come true. Straight up. So they definitely <laughs> fucking deserve all that. Those That's are, the highest compliment. You you make my mosh dreams come true. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. Texas is before we play, I'm like, man, I hope somebody, I hope somebody calls the ambulance. <laughs> so we played in Texas a couple times, and it was, first time it was a two day festival. We played day one. They canceled day two because of how violent day one got. And then we were on tour. We played our first date in in Fort Worth, and after we played, they stopped playing having shows there. <laughs> that's what, that's actually the show I was gonna say. That one, that was probably, that's one I very much remember. And it wasn't like a huge show or anything, but it was just like it's perfect, perfect size, the and perfect violent. venue, like perfect, perfect amount people. of people. Like it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that started the tour, right? Yep, that was the first yeah. night. So that was like we started off like that, and and then it kept going. Amazing. It was nuts. Being out of state and having people monster your music that you've never met before is the most wildest feeling. Hundred thousand percent agree. The, the it was very surreal playing Oklahoma and being like, there's a couple people that like are homies or have seen us a couple times, but like seeing people that I'm like I could not even try to guess your first name and just like, <laughs> yeah. beating the shit out of out of someone to a riff that I wrote in my bedroom. So that shit is very special and very, um, very something that I don't think anyone should ever take for granted. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. 
Well, yo, shout out the guy that hit his face on the speaker at, at uh, like, you know, Oh, no, I wasn't sure if he was going to get brought up. Oh, I was right under that shit. I seen the whole thing. Oh, my God. Somebody has a picture of right when his face connects with it. <laughs> the wildest shit. shit is his head hit it, and then his body stopped, and his leg just swang up, and then everything Back dropped. Floor, yep. I, didn't I am... And and I like I what like everyone's seen the cell phone video of that. I saw Sunny pan to that, so I know he's got the money shot of that happening. I hope so. I fucking hope so. I'm not gonna lie, me and Ty were in the background dying. <laughs> I was on stage. I felt, I felt bad, but like goddamn, that was so like he just triggered his PTSD and yeah. I swear. I just see the video of Skyler do that fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm about? He was losing his mind, laughing so fucking hard at that shit. I like, I, I'm pretty sure after that set, I went back into the the merch area room that we were talking about earlier, and that guy had two people holding multiple bags of ice on his head, garbage can in front for puking, and I was like, this. I man. walked right past him. I walked right past him after snuff. After we finished playing. And I was like, bro, are you okay? Yeah, bro, I'm I'm good. That was a sick fucking set. And I was like, <laughs> are you good, bro? Yeah. Fucking set. Do we know his name? Does anybody know his name? Yeah, we found him on Instagram. What's his name? I don't I don't know his real name. I just know his Instagram. What's his Instagram? Oh. Pull God. it up. I'm I i do not remember. Whatever his Instagram name is. Uh, if you're listening and that's you. You're a fucking real one. You you got me you know appealing shirt. Yes, <laughs> Joe is a robot. Uh, you you are part robot because no no skull should be able to uh, withstand that blow. Um, oh man, I got fucked up. Yeah, mm. uh, Michael, all the yep. peeling flesh links, all of your links, and all the good shit will be in the description, the uh, the show notes, uh, the shirt pre order as well that we talked about. Um, if there's anything you want to end on, anyone you want to plug. Or anything you want to shout out, the floor is yours, my friend. Yo, shout out the taco truck over here on Britain. <laughs> Yo, shout out Frosty the Snowman. This man right here. He said who? <laughs> That's his alter ego. You know, like the mask. Remember when he put the mask on, turned to a whole different person. Right. It's him when he puts sunglasses on, he turns into a different person named Frosty the Snowman. Okay. So shout out Frosty. Shout out Backroom, Aaron Johnson. Nick Hampson at 89th Street. Um, fuck, bro. The whole crew, the whole LK Keys crew. OKC Music Scene. Shout out Texas. Shout out Vogue Tires. Vogue Tires and Elbows. Shout out Lowriders. 24 is enough. Elf Bars. Yo, shout out Weed. <laughs> and Weed when it's lit and unlit. I gotta say, fuck Weed. I ain't with us. He don't smoke weed. Mm. He don't do nothing. He don't do it. Well, this is not his podcast, so we're shouting out weed. He's like half a beer. (laughs) I don't even drink it. But yeah. Shit, who else, bro? Yo, shout out Emily, my wife. Shout out the the babies and babies. Daisy, Morgan, Alex. Who am I forgetting? Emily. Austin. My brains. Yo, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. About it. Shout out to all the peeling fleshies uh, who fuck with the band. Um, if you shout out to the peelers, to the peelers, <laughs> I like I like that. I like that as a as a fandom name. Um, if it if it wasn't apparent, Scoped Exposure rides for peeling flesh. I ride for peeling flesh, and I'm really 
it, it's been super cool, Michael, again, to just like unpack some of the origin story of your life, the mission behind this band. And I believe y'all have the sauce to really make something really happen in the next number of years. And I'm excited to watch and, and be a part of it. So again, thank you again for coming on the pod. My dude, thank you for having us. Amy and him. I was say sorry if I like interrupted. I didn't want to like come in on his episode or whatever. <laughs> you guys were supposed to be here. Like if an you hour if you came that. if you came without a bev, we would have had a problem. But uh, you you saved it, so you brought the good. drink. <laughs> Yo, shout out oh, Lean yeah. and Sprite. <laughs> <laughs>